Hello. Welcome to my Camino the Podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, a pilgrimage, or more accurately, a series of pilgrimages across Europe, walking in the footsteps of millions of pilgrims who have walked these trails for centuries. They walk to find redemption, or hope, penance, freedom, emancipation, release, rescue. Most pilgrims head toward the majestic cathedral in Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain, where the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred in a silver casket in a crypt beneath the church. Pilgrims walk from all four corners of the globe. Their collective intention provides an energy, a spirituality. Some say you can't avoid, such is the power of the Camino. Well, I'm telling you, if a Camino is on your radar... It will come up time and time again. The connection is incredible. So let it take you in, take you on, and take you where you need to go. I hope wherever you are around the world, you'll take a moment to celebrate the beauty of life, the beauty of love, the beauty of bravery and adventure, the beauty of friendship, the beauty of family. I'm a little emotional this week, and I know what you're thinking. Here he goes again. (laughs) But I'm coming to you from a small studio in Sydney, Australia. I was born and raised in Toowoomba, a regional city 90 minutes from the capital of Queensland called Brisbane. And I ended up in Brisbane when my father took a job as a high school principal. We ended up in the big smoke. Brisbane was much, much bigger than Toowoomba. And I felt completely out of sorts. I settled in soon enough, but never felt like Brisbane was home. I left in 1993 and I've been in Sydney ever since. It's very much home now. Occasionally, Brisbane will come back to visit me. I received a message on social media this week from a journalist who used to write reviews for local gigs in Brisbane in the early 90s, so 30 years ago. She said, I think you might be Dan Mullins, who I used to see at the RE, which stood for Royal Exchange Hotel, in the 80s and 90s. I wrote back and said, yeah, that's me. She said, my friend walked the Camino de Santiago and was raving about your podcast. So I started listening. I thought it must be the same guy. Well, it's certainly the same person, but I'm not sure I'm the same person I was in 1991. Or maybe I am. Or maybe I've finally learned something from all those trips around the sun. My correspondent is JB. We were circling in the same orbit. She knew my little brothers, and those listeners who've been with me for a while will know those little brothers have since died. I live with it every day. And some days are better than others. But this is not a sad story. It's a magic story. Because JB had scrapbooks of old reviews she'd written as a fledgling journalist. And they were rave reviews of my late brother's gigs. We were full of energy, so young, full of life and love, full of music and lyrics, and full of ambition, with all the time in the world. And then you realise, time is not forever. I, I don't want this to be a sad podcast intro. I want it to be a celebration of the love of those we love. We all love the Camino, and love will triumph 
over all our sadness. And I want you to remember too, Christ's message above all was about love. Give love, receive love, and be love. My late brothers and I played in a band together for years. We were called the Lucky Guys. We argued so bad one night, traffic stopped on the street. (laughs) I heard someone say, they only fight to give themselves a reason to hug. (laughs) There's an old saying, I saw that you were perfect and I loved you. Then I saw that you were not perfect and I loved you even more. Let's this week celebrate family, mothers, sisters, brothers and sons and the joy they bring, the love you share with someone you call a sibling. It's a blessing, a rare joy, a celebration. So let's celebrate. This week I want to interview two brothers and a son, pilgrims with a story or two, in sync with each other via the blood that courses through their veins. Welcome to the podcast, Bob Makala, his brother David and David's son Josh, Welcome, Pilgrims. Hello, Dan. Hey, Dan. Hello, Dan. Thanks for having us. It's great to be talking to you from the other side of the world. Josh, I want to start with you. What do you say when your pop and uncle say, come walk the Camino de Santiago with us? Man, it was was a long uh, conversation that I had with myself. And I said, I don't don't know if they're going to say yes, but I called them and I said, I talked to this guy in his cafe talked about this amazing adventure and i want you two to do it with me as two of the most important men in my life so wait and a minute this, you huh? asked them yeah i asked them oh that's awesome that's an even better yeah. story and what did they say and did they did they require convincing did you have to talk them into it uh a little bit yeah a little bit i would say my uncle bobby not as much as my father he's more of the uh the wanderlust, but my dad was still open to it. It was just a matter of how financially and how physically we could do that. But they, their spirit was present for it. So how wonderful! Do you, Josh? Do you remember what your expectations were? Yeah, I definitely. It was. I mean, expectations were just to to spend time together and really get to know each other more and and kind of experience that adventure. Um, in a whole nother country being stripped of all our amenities and comforts and just relying on each other and, and adventures. So, yeah. And I think the great thing about walking with um, siblings and or, or loved ones, you finally get the time to spend with them. You know, so often we're at an event, it might be somebody's party or, or a wedding or, you know, it's, it's always some, some reason that you're together rather than just being together because of who you are and the love you share and your history. That's just such a great thing. But Josh, just before I finish with you, a pilgrimage for a young man is something a little out of the ordinary. So what did your friends make of this, this vision? Yeah, my friends kind of thought I was a little bit crazy. And they said, um, I don't know why you're you're wasting the whole summer doing this for yourself. But um, I mean, they, they generally supported it, but it kind of was, yeah, right. Good luck. We'll see if you actually do it. So I'll, I'll go to you, David. Um, and you might tell me about your childhood alongside Bob. Um, where and when and, and, and have you always been close? Talk, take, take us through your relationship and, and I guess your history. <laughs> Ah, okay. Well, that's a loaded question. Um, I guess I can go to 
um, Bob's wedding uh, when I was his best man, and I gave a speech about how Bob used to tease me. Bob was known as the teaser, and um, you could say our relationship growing up wasn't the best. We were very competitive. We grew up in a broken family, but um, one thing I did admire about Bob was that he definitely was very creative. He was smart, um, and he uh, had things uh, about him that I wish I had. But the one thing I didn't like is that he would tease me. He's a year older than me, and um, and he gave me a nickname that stuck with me, and nobody really knew what it meant until I revealed what it meant on his um, wedding day. And I had my nephews coming up to me and saying, I can't believe that your nickname means that. <laughs> so um, I could leave this as a cliffhanger. You can wonder what that nickname is, but uh, or maybe you want to know what that well, nickname is. I'll just explain to my listeners that we're on Zoom and, and, and my three guests on my, t- on my video screen. And, and when David came up on, on screen, I could hear Bob say, oh, Deke. And it's like, right? And it's like, it's like a brother seeing his brother, you know, like, I know what it's like. And you go, he's just like, oh, Deke, you know, come on, Deke. Why, why, where did it come from? (laughs) That's it, Deke. Uh, You know, it's so endearing. I mean, in in high school, everyone called me Deke. There's people to this day that still calls me Deke. And, but nobody really knew what it meant, you know, until, you know, we were standing out in our driveway with one of Bob's best friends. And uh, he asked Bob, so what does this nickname Deke mean? And Bob said, well, it's a combination of a dick and a geek. So Deke (laughs) is a combination of dick and a geek. So I carried around this dick and geek um, persona for all these years with nobody knowing what it meant. But hey, we went on the Camino and, um, (laughs) you know, we once we... Once Bob went off to college, I moved to Hawaii. That was things turned around, and we were able to build a relationship. And uh, you know, I thought that we, um, I, I well, to this day, I know that there's a lot of respect that we have for one another. Yeah, that's fabulous, Bob. Let me come to you. Tell me about the Camino coming into your orbit, uh, your, this this family's orbit. Well, first of all, let me say I. I have been telling Deke, I'm sorry, I can't stop calling him that. He said he goes by David, <laughs> and it feels weird to call him David at this point. So, Deke, I, I have been apologizing sincerely for decades now, and, and so I now it's it's evolved into a super loving term of endearment. So, now getting mm-hmm. back to the Camino, Josh um, came to the, came to us one day and said he met some people at a cafe and um, let's do this. And I was like, God, that sounds amazing. Let's, of course, let's do this. And I had done some um, when I was younger. So I was 52 when we did it in uh, 2013. And I had done when I was Josh's age and a little bit older, I had hitchhiked across America. I had... Uh, ridden a mountain bike from uh, L.A. to Boston. So I had done some weird, I went bar hopping across America for 100 days in a Volkswagen van. So I've had some weird road trips under my belt. And so the chance to do this with him and, and his his dad and my brother for a month. sounded. And I love the physical challenge of it, but I had never heard of this thing. So, so we watched The Way with uh, the Martin Sheen movie. And just after that, I was like, yeah, we definitely have to do this. 
Yeah. I, I, I think when you talk to people who um, have seen the movie, often they've, they've, they've envisaged themselves on the Camino and perhaps wished and hoped that they could do it. But as soon as they watch that film, it's kind of the, it, it kind of the penny drops and they can see themselves doing it. And I think it's fantastic. But you're involved, Bob, aren't you, with um, uh, Bob – is it Bob – Bob Optimistic? Is that how you say it? That Bob is Timistic? how you say it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bob Optimistic doesn't, books doesn't really roll off the tongues. I know, but if you go to, <laughs> I also have the uh, do, the uh, domain for optimistic books, so that kind of oh. simplifies things. So right on. Yeah. Well, Bob Bob Optimistic books, and you publish Camino books, don't you? Well, and I've so- published my first Camino book. Yeah. Right, right. Your role, and Meg was on your podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, and and I I absolutely love it. Hey, Deke, I might go back to you. Tell us about walking the Camino as brothers. What's it like? Uh, As brothers, yeah. Um, Well, I knew it was gonna. I knew it was gonna be a lot different. I knew Bob had his vision of what the Camino was gonna look like, which was very similar to Josh's, which was. Let's just, you know, let the story, you know, unfold as it is. And I had this picture. We wanted to make a documentary. So I was carrying all the gear. I was trying to plan out a storyboard. You know, we we had a timeline. So, you know, we we knew that there was going to be challenges along the way. But, um, you know, walking it with Bob, I I got to see a side of Bob, especially if you watch the, the video that we made where Bob and Josh had a major conflict about, you know, the the story was, should we get on a bus or not? Are we going to walk all 790 kilometers? And every day we were getting behind and behind and behind. Um, So I got to see Bob in most pain I've ever seen him before, be able to persevere, not get on a bus, and walk the entire 790 from start to finish where Josh and I had a different story. And I didn't really care about getting on a bus one way or another because I, I told Josh I was in it just for the experience. And whatever played out, uh, I was just lucky to have and really looking forward to have quality time with these guys. Why did you fall behind so much? Were you injured, do you think? or? Well, Bob, yeah, Bob got major blisters. Um, that was part of it. Uh, we, you know, we were enjoying... The cafe life. Josh loves cafes, so Josh wanted to make sure that we had extra time, you know, in the cafes. And I was like, "No, we got to. If we're going to finish, the, if we're going to finish it, we have to have be on schedule." I'm very, you know, I'm very uh, planned person and organized and I structured. And this was, you know, the, uh, the Camino is throw out your plans and your structure out the window because yeah. it just it it doesn't work. So. But um, yeah, so walking with Bob, just to speak into that, is it was great because I got to see a, a side of Bob that I'd never seen before. Well, one of the issues was uh, Josh had booked a flight um, from Santiago to London. What was it like day 29 from when we left? So we had 29 days to get from St. John Pierre de Port to Santiago. And so we had a tight window. And on, I think it was day seven or eight, my blisters were so bad. I had to go to urgent care. Josh is in with in there with me, rolling the video as I had the most excruciating pain. The the woman cut the my bandages off and cleaned it up, and so we had a whole day where we couldn't walk at all after a week. And then after that, it was a lot of pain. 
Why did you get so many blisters? What what happened there? Um, well, I didn't really prepare much for the, you know, I got some shoes. I thought they would work. I had took one, uh, probably a 10 mile hike around Austin with my new shoes and thought I was good to go. And clearly I wasn't, I didn't have all the, <laughs> I was like the most unprepared Peregrino ever. I didn't really watch any videos, didn't read any books, like the how to nothing. I relied on Josh basically to do all the research for us, and he was our kind of our our, uh, our instructor on what to do and how long it's going to take us. And we found out that 29 days was kind of pushing it. Josh, did you see a change in the relationship between your father and his brother <laughs> over the course of the Camino? Good question. Yeah, actually, I did. It was. Um obviously more prevalent when I got home, but watching them interact was, was really cool to see because growing up, um, I spent equal time with both of them. And I felt like, you know, there was this little bit of competition I could see because, you know, I looked up to both of them for different aspects of, you know, the way they lived their life. And uh, I could see that kind of play out on the Camino where it was this sort of moment of watching them come together and not only in my mind, but uh, with each other, like they, we all butted heads and they butted heads a few times, but, uh, it was, I feel like the stubbornness was put down on both sides and, it, and we really were able to bond and get closer, which was nice. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. So, Josh, then, what surprised you most, do you think, about the Camino de Santiago and your journey, your pilgrimage? It's a great question. I think um, just how much it changed me and I would say obviously grew all of us closer with this bond that, it's like it's a spiritual this thing you can't put your finger on i think i just i came back forever changed and it took me like a good month of just being completely in this headspace of just being zoned out i don't know how else to explain it but i just i missed it so much and i really took for granted us all being together like i just i was yearning for the everyday just that sort of simplicity of waking up and you know the little daily tips of like my uncle and I getting up and like, well, let's enjoy our cappuccino or my croissant. My dad's like, this is ridiculous. we got to get on the road. And I just, I miss that sort of just like freedom in that. And I think that's what surprised me most is how much it affected me and how much it really changed my life. You know, that feeling, um, you just don't get it anywhere else. The time and space, those two things we yearn more than anything at home is time and space to just be able to freedom to say, you know what? I will stop and have a coffee if I want to, and I will I will have a glass of red wine at eleven o'clock in the morning because there's everybody else, everybody else in town is doing it. But to, Bob and and David, uh, you wrote to me, Bob, to say that you walked in 2013. You would have loved to have walked with your sister, um, that she had passed away, and you said that stories that you hear, uh, stories of loss, healing, and familial connections really resonated with you maybe david i'll ask you first um was there was was your sister your late sister present with you a lot on the camino was it somewhere you felt a little closer to her uh you know we didn't talk much about that um on the camino i think that was more of a personal side for bob um i actually had the ashes of my uncle my wife's um uh, yeah, my wife's uncle who passed away not too long ago. So I made a commitment to Kimberly's mom to spread his ashes. So there was that sense of, you know, um, 
LOSP, and then also Kimberly's, my wife's uh, father, passed away while we were on the Camino as well. So there was that sense of loss, but it just wasn't related to Tracy. So um, I'll let Bob answer that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, so Tracy passed away in 2001, and we did the Camino in 2013. So Tracy, has she uh, was in a, in a car accident when she was almost 30 years old and was paralyzed from the neck down. And then three years later, she rolled her wheelchair in her family swimming pool and passed away after that so she and i were super close she was super athletic and fun and gregarious and this is the camino is the kind of thing that she would have been all over and it would have been so great to do something like that with her she was definitely she's always with me and i think about her every day so she was definitely a presence on on the camino for me even if we we weren't talking about her much do you think the Camino, Bob, helped you reconcile in some way that emptiness, that, that search for sort of to fill that empty space? Um, you know, I think I, I dealt with that in the meet, in like the year or two after that. So it wasn't so much that kind of experience for me. For me, it was more about um, being at a stage of my life. I, I was in my early 50s, so... A, just the, the physical challenge of doing that. I wanted to mm. physically challenge myself and see what I was capable of, but also just, just to spend some time with with my brother and my nephew for 30 days without being interrupted by, you know, other screaming nephews and nieces and people. We, you know, so much of our time is either spent at birthday parties or holidays, or we have a, we yeah. had a family surf trip we did every summer so we come up from a fan our dad was a surfer in the 60s so we've been doing that for years so that was a way to get together but this was a this was focused one month physically but also just being in a different culture meeting people from all over the world having the landscape of of spain change every day it's just it's it's magical the things that happen on that on the trip are just magical so being able to share that kind of experience with these guys is just just uh we're just so lucky to 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 have, to have the, the experience yeah 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 no i dave i'll stay with you uh for this question uh because you touched on it earlier or rather josh josh touched on it earlier and and i thought i'd give his dad the chance to sort of explain it a bit further people talk about the energy of the camino um how do you describe that feeling Uh, the word that Josh used uh, was a sense of freedom, you know, just, uh, you know, that, that spirit of knowing that every day is going to be something new and different and you're going to meet someone new every day um, and that you're basically living out of your backpack. And I think that, you know, uh, I think all human beings wish they, ha- they could do something like that to simplify their life. Um, so that that's, you know, that spirit that Josh talked about, there's just when you bring people together and take them out of their their natural environment where people are, you know, covering up, you know, their personalities to try and perform to the people around them. There's this sense of people letting their guards down, taking their mask off and you get to see people in their purest form. And that happened with us. It didn't happen right away, but we just got, we were able to see each other, I think, in ways that we've never been able to see before because, you know, our culture tells us that we should be a certain way, yeah. act a certain way, do certain things. But the Camino was like, 
this is the simplest, purest form of human interaction that I've ever experienced before. And then you take it home with you, don't you? Well, that's the plan. The plan is to take it home with you. Did you find yourself, David, when you got home, I know Josh mentioned before that it took him like a month to sort of Maybe not realigned. Maybe you were realigned, Josh. Maybe it took a month for you to sort of start scattering again. But what about you, David? How, how does the Camino sort of reflect itself? How do you find it reflecting in your day-to-day life? Well, absolutely. I took it home with me. I mean, that first month, like Josh said, for me, it was like readjusting. I, I just, I miss my wife so much. I, I would not let her go and she, I was smothering her she was just leave me alone I'm here I'm not going anywhere so that was the the first part but then I said I asked myself because the Camino changed me in a lot of different ways I ended up leaving a 10-year career and started a new business and um, um, I decided that what would it look like if I went outside my front door and met one new person a day? Because we were meeting all these amazing people. So I said, okay, I'm going to commit from January 1, 2014 to December 31st, meet one new person a day. And I t- uh, asked them, I had specific questions I asked them, and I took a picture of them, and I, I basically created a blog. And um, it was it was fascinating to to say, okay, could the Camino in some way be replicated in my hometown? And it absolutely not the Camino was, but just that, that human interaction of connecting with people. It was absolutely amazing. Wow, what an extraordinary thing to do. I, I, what, yeah. Wow, what did you learn? Let me ask you this question then. This is a question I quite often ask on this podcast. What did you learn about yourself in the course of that 12 months, those 365 days? Okay, well, let me tell you what I learned about myself on the Camino that carried over is um, I've been a pretty selfish person my entire life. You know, it was I've made my life all about me. And um, and I realized that, okay, I'm going to do something that is not about me and just go out and listen to people and, and engage with people. And what I learned is that people miss that connection. Pe- people have a story to tell and we know that it sounds so cliche and people want to be part of something bigger than themselves they want to have meaning and purpose and people they would tell me i can't believe i'm telling you my life story i just met you how can i do what you're doing i go well all you have to do is walk up to somebody and say hello my name's david what's your name how are you today and uh people it seems so simple but so difficult for some people so what i learned is people are just hungry to connect and if you slow down um and ask truly listen and connect and that's something that bob i think has modeled really well for us uh, as a family and um so and has had the courage to do that you know so that was something that i was able to say okay well let's see if i can do it for entire year which i did and you know it's something that you know, I've got a TED talk that I'm putting together around that as well. And I learned a lot about um, about just human nature. Bob, that's a pretty nice thing for your little brother to say about you, isn't it? That is nice. Thank you. Brother. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So well, just well, yeah. Why, why don't you explain that philosophy then and, and explain to us, I suppose, why and how you came to that realization that that you ought to be that big brother. Well, I feel like from the time I was a little kid listening 
for for some reason um people would talk to me my mom was my mom got pregnant when with me when she was 16 years old so i had me when she was 17 so i had a young mom um and she confided in me from the time i was very young and i and i also remember my grandparents having long talks with my grandparents at family functions so i was really got tuned into listening and when you're not real super confident as i was not uh growing up it's easy to um kind of blend in and, and interact with people if you're the listener because everybody wants to talk about themselves you kind of innately know that or i did when i was younger but as as i got as i got older and just watched human interactions it seems like um, people are really just so desperate to be heard and to be engaging with people and really in this fast-paced world that people just are have shorter and shorter attention spans and when and I think be as a result, I think that's why social media has exploded the way it has. It's because it's a reaction to people not being heard enough. So um, that's one of the great things about the Camino was you just had the the pace. If it was at a ca cafe where you saw somebody you you, had, you ran into two days ago, back in back at an albergue you stayed at, or um, or on the road you're walking next to somebody you just there was just that time and that space to to talk and listen and i feel like some of the in these weird road trips I, i've been and i hitchhiked from boston to la 33 rides it took me about five days and and the takeaway from that trip was that everybody who picked me up just wanted uh somebody to talk to so i get in yeah. the car diffuse the situation and and open my ears up and I've some of the most gratifying, satisfying times of my life is just listening to people. I, when I lived in LA for about 10 or 15 years, I was involved in a, uh, a charity that uh, they paired you up with an older person, Jewish charity. So over the course of the years, I had four different pe um, old people. And for the last, the last old person I got was this little lady named Ruth and she was in ill health and the person that hit the, who hooked us up said she probably won't be along around for long she's got a bad heart and but uh you know do what you do what you can do so for years i went over there for once a week and just sat with her and talked to her and, and she was a great listener and we just i heard her life story but i guess the point is those kinds of moments have been so gratifying for me in my in my life you don't have to be a rich person to have rich moments rich connections with people um and i just i find like listening is such an entree into people's hearts and souls and and really getting those gratifying connections that people are striving for that's such a great answer josh so how does that manifest itself in your life coming from uh a tutor a, a, an uncle, a father who tutor you and have led you to to conduct yourself in a certain fashion. I mean, are you a good listener? Are you a good talker? <laughs> are you interested in meeting people and learning their stories? I would say I love people. I love. I definitely, I think, got that from them. I, I love meeting people, and that's one of the main things on the Camino. But am I a good listener? No. Do I talk too much? Yes. <laughs> um, so that's something I've definitely learned. But it also was nice on the Camino, just meeting people, and it, it helped me kind of reframe that a lot. And Because um, you're forced to hear their story. 
it's not a one-sided conversation. It's like, oh, where are you from? And it naturally helps you listen. And yeah, so yeah, that helped. I, I, my next question actually plays perfectly into it. Um, what did you learn about your family on the Camino? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like I learned a lot. Um, not only just watching their interactions, but um, it's, 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 I don't want to give too long of an answer, but I learned a lot from the sense of, asking questions I never got to ask, whether it's about Aunt Tracy or whether it's about their relationship growing up or things that, you know, you never really get to dive deep and ask, you know, mm. how was it for you growing up or how was, what yeah. happened here, what happened there, you know, whether it's family drama or actually family healing moments. Um, so that was one side of it. But in the present, I was really learning how each one of them reacted to conflict and how they interact with people, how they interact with grace and empathy and love. So that was something that was really I think once in a lifetime to see all of that in one setting and for one set of time. Yeah. And how wonderful that uh, no matter where you'll be in years and years and years to come, you'll always have that very special journey, won't you? you yeah, can't, exactly. You can't ever lose yeah. it. Yeah, I know. And that's, that's what I love is there's yeah. like the Hemingway quote from A Movable Feast where he says, you know, when you're young and you've lived in Paris, like that always stays with you wherever you go. And that's yeah. how I feel about the Camino. It's like it, it's, you were so fortunate to be able to do that for that window and it always stays with you. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. No, I love that. So, boys, where does the name Makala come from? Makala is Finnish. Um, it used to be, Makala is six letters. Now it used to be like a 15-letter uh, long name. It got right. cut down. But our, our great-grandmother, suppose, legend has it, our great-grandmother had a, ticket on the titanic and was going to come to america from finland and um she had two small children one of the children got sick so they uh they had to they missed the connecting boat ride from finland down to london to catch the titanic and that's why we're here talking to you today <laughs> that's a good line that's great bob you talked about blisters and um blisters can quite often be and well physical pain can quite often be the most difficult aspect of a Camino. Let me ask um, your brother and, and his son. David, I'll start with you. What did you find most challenging about the Camino de Santiago? Uh, wasn't physic The physical aspect wasn't a problem for me. Um, the most difficult for me was more of the emotional side. Um, watching Josh, um, you know, wrestling with you know, wanting to complete the Camino and, uh, you know, the, the turmoil of should we take a bus or not take a bus? And then, you know, uh, we, we wanted to run with the bulls and we were this close to run with the bulls. It was a big buildup to be able to, you know, to make that happen. But, it, you know, we got pushed out at the last minute on the first day. So it's just more for me just watching Josh process through the emotions of some letdowns and watching him he got sick for a couple of days or was dehydrated um so and then watching bob suffer and seeing him trying to push through with you know his blisters so it was just w watching the whole dynamics of the struggle f physically and emotionally for bob and then emotionally for josh yeah what about you josh what did you find most difficult about the camino yeah, I, I would second that. It was definitely the emotional part. Um, after I was on a complete high up until Pamplona because I was so excited. I'm a huge Hemingway fan. And I kind of crafted the whole trip around that 
sort of the Festival de Saint-Fermin. And uh, after that, it kind of took a little bit of a turn because we did get behind, naturally because of all of us, not just because of my uncle. Um, just, you know, we didn't, it's, it's weird because I, I was upset at myself for setting such a short timeline because um, I thought it, you know, I got advice, oh, it'll only take 25 days. So I gave us 30 and I was really upset at myself for doing that. And um, yeah, I couldn't change the flight. It was a whole thing. So I was like determined to make it there. But the more we progressed, the more it realized that wasn't going to happen. So I was kind of not facing the elephant in the room. So the emotional side probably was the hardest part of trying to have to come to terms with that and make a decision. So tell us what happened. Where did you leave and, and head back home? How far did you get? Oh, how far? I don't know the exact. I'll let them fill that and on, I forget what day it was because it was such a it was such a blur for me. But um, yeah, I'll let them do that, and I can talk about the emotional side of it afterwards. Well, you you got to he got to Santiago. He just they just took a bus, but like a hundred k down the road, just so they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, miss his flight. So that we we parted ways. I was I think I was a, a week from Santiago when we parted ways, and and then I was on my own for the last week, and they uh, they went down the road, and and then Deke ended up going to Finisterre by himself, came back from Finisterre and greeted me in the plaza when I got into Santiago. So that worked out. That was nice. Well, my next question, because I wasn't exactly sure who left and who did what. So my question was, uh, tell us about being in Santiago Square as brothers. That was pretty cool. (laughs) Right. I mean, because I had just come back from Finisterre, it was just a, a, you know, it was it was bittersweet because we had all dreamed about all three of us being there, you know, Mm. but it was, you know, it was the cafe life for me. I was having the sangria and I was, you know, sitting by the the seaside there and having a nice meal and taking it all in. And then we timed it so that way I had a day. To, to meet Bob, actually, uh, literally at lunchtime to, to watch Bob walk in. So I was there in the plaza. I see Bob walking in, just looking around. I, I get goosebumps just thinking about that because I remember when Josh and I walked in, um, you know, it was just that feeling when you're around the corner and you see all these people. Um, it, it was, it was as Josh has mentioned many times, it was a, a, a life-changing experience that will be with us the rest of our lives. But the Bob, you can speak to this, um, but the the kind of the downside of 2013 is, I don't know if you remember, but that's when the train uh, crashed and the train station. So we, we you know, the, so the media was there and it was uh, a couple people that were on, you know, on the, on the, the way with us um, had been on the train. And I think some pilgrims had lost um, their lives. So. So that kind of changed the whole scenario there. I mean, we look forward to doing uh, walking it again and not having to see the whole media frenzy. But, mm. um, but yeah, Bob, what were what were your thoughts when we met up in the yeah, plaza? That was just so nice. Well, so I had we had the th- first three weeks together, then I had a week alone, which is a completely different dynamic. Which, and I've done a lot of traveling alone, so that was that was. That was great on a, on a whole other level. So, but to walk into that square after the whole buildup, you know, anything's kind of going to be anticlimactic because you, it's the ultimate. It's about the journey, not the destination. But the destination was pretty cool too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, 
am I feeling right now what I'm supposed to be feeling? Well, I, this is, I don't know, but this is really nice. There's my brothers here and we ran, I kept on seeing people that we'd see, you know, 30 days worth of stopping for fresh squeezed orange juice or yeah, stopping yeah. at the albergue and you're going to see the same people. It's just crazy how many familiar faces from all over the world you continually see, but then to see them in the square you might not even speak their language, but you just give each other a look, a nod, a smile. It was, yeah, it was great. Goosebumps. So, so all these years, you've never been back? Never been back, no. We, we, we want to go back, but um, I'm, 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 uh, I, I'm making a movie right now, and I'm, and, uh, I'm at the very, I'm 95% done. I'm close to the finish line, and my goal was to, Turn this movie into a uh, a TV series, and the TV ser- the, and the movie's about a girl who's backpacking around the world for a year, and she her mom passes away, and and she gets to New York City and comes up with this idea. She sees everybody on the train. There's people are shoulder to shoulder, and no one's talking. Everyone's got their you know, and they're buried, got their nose in their phone. And she's like, God, this is so sad. All these opportunities to connect, you know, like the Camino. Mm, and she's yeah. like, wouldn't it be great if there was a way we could, a sign that you could give other, other people to let them know that um, you're open to conversation. So she comes up with this idea. What if you were something green on your thumbs and green means go. Um, and let's, so it becomes a thing. Anyway, so the idea is to take that idea from the movie, turn it into a TV show where she's traveling around the world. And I would love, my dream would be to, to do season two where this girl goes on the Camino. Wow. So we'll, what a, see what, we'll see what happens. I, I got to finish the movie first, but I think it would be cool to have a season's worth of a TV show where somebody's actually on the Camino because such a universe, so, so, so many positive vibes and yeah. positive ideas that you yeah. can get, you can glean from the experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there certainly are so, so many unique places to shoot too. Um, oh. it just looks beautiful. It Gorgeous. looks spectacular, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. and very you, photogenic that Camino. Yeah. Yeah. I remember walking one of those long days where you walk 18 kilometers through the one and it's a direct straight line. I can't remember the name of the two towns, and there's that little fruit stall about halfway across, and it's just like oh, barren. Yeah. There's nothing there at all. You know, we sort of saw this something on the horizon and thought, yeah, I hope that's something exciting because <laughs> there's been nothing for hours. <laughs> yeah. And as yeah. we came up to it, we we're like, oh no, it's just another pile of hay bales, you know. And as we got closer, we we're going, what? What's that on top? And it was a, this German girl sunbaking on the top of the on the top of the. <laughs> And we're like, huh? There you go. But just just seeing the the contrast of this stark landscape and the, this beautiful young woman sunbaking there was just so amazing, it's just yeah. so great, you know. And I was thinking, man, I wish I I'm a hopeless photographer, I'm a hopeless filmmaker, or whatever. But this just the the vision on there's so many things. Um, that you can do on the Camino that uh, is just so special and would be loved. I'd love to see that show. Yeah, particularly yeah, so, particularly based do. on the premise that you're there to learn and to share and to talk and to converse and to listen, and, and, and that's that's a real key part of it, obviously. Um, yeah. I, I, you, where, did you, where were you brought up? Where was home, the Makala brothers? Where were you? 
We grew up in the suburbs of um, Southern California, about okay. um, ha- half hour east of LA, we, and we didn't travel much growing up. It's weird that we got the travel bug, but by the time I was 21, I had never been north of Sacramento, east of Vegas, and south of like Mexico. Right. Hours okay. south of Mexico, so I hadn't okay. really gone anywhere. Right. The reason I asked that is because music from your neck of the woods has been a big part of my life. Um, uh, I love the Southern California music. I love it. Um, just this week, I bought a 12-string guitar, and the first song I played was I Can Hear Music by the Beach Boys. And I was uh, just listening to Pet Sounds today working in my yard. There you go. There you go. And, and yeah. my wife said, what would you buy that for? And I said, listen, this is why I bought it. And I played that song. She goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> Whoa. You get, yeah, that's fine. You get the tick of approval. Uh, tell me about music. Josh, you might mention uh, or talk about this. Music on the Camino, was was it a part of, of what you did? Did you seek out music? Uh, did you listen to music as you walked? Yeah, music's uh, – I'm not a musician, but music's a big part of my life, and I think I got that from my uncle. Um, you know, ever since I was a kid, he used to make me these mixed CDs. You know, when you're eight, nine, you're listening to NSYNC Backstreet Boys, and he would make me these mixes of the Beatles and say, one day you'll be cool enough to listen to this, and <laughs> it just kicked in. So he would make me these mixed tapes, got me into Bob Dylan, all that. So, um, yeah, on the Camino, you – you bet I had like four playlists for like long walks, night walks. And it was like 105 songs. And that's, I loved our communion time where we talked, but I love just tuning out and listening to music. And it was fun because I'm sure he'll talk about this, but he brought a, <laughs> a solar panel backpack that he got kind of teased in the beginning, my uncle, and he had a little Bluetooth speaker. So he, you know, play the tunes for us and we walk and it was, it was so fun. So yeah, oh. music was a big part of my community. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that. So who had the solar pack? Who had the solar pack? You, Bob? It wasn't a solar backpack. It was a, it was solar panels that I jerry-rigged to the back of my backpack oh. that kept falling <laughs> off and I was using bungee cords and people would walk by me and like turn around and go, who's this idiot walking with this backpack with... And of course, the, the the irony is you don't need solar panels on your backpack because there's power outlets every night where you're sleeping. So I envision like sleeping in fields and there's no no humanity for miles and miles. No, um, you walk past that and get to an albergue. You know, uh, I can see David and Josh is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did mention before though, Bob, that you didn't do any research, so it's kind of okay. It's kind of okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, David, uh, uh, did you learn much about music from a big brother? Uh, he had all the vinyls. Um, he never shared it with me, but I was, you know, I, I would, you know, he was very protective of all of his vinyls. But, yeah, as Josh mentioned, Beatles, um, uh, Bob Dylan, definitely Beach Boys. Jackson Brown, um, don't forget Jackson, Jackson Brown. Brown. Jackson Brown, of course. I mean, that, that Jackson Brown, it was kind of our high school cool surfer guys you know really enjoyed jackson brown but um yeah my music went a little different during high school i went to the punk rock scene and was you know uh, listening to some of you know b-52s ramones oh, yeah. plastic bertrand you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh yeah anyway so now my bob didn't teach me much about music but my dad did and then maybe that's where bob got the music uh, my dad had all the old vinyls and uh, he held on to them and definitely beatles beach boys so um uh, uh, ccr oh, yeah. uh, every time i hear ccr I, I think of you know pops you know jamming out um so 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Now that part of that, it's just weird. I don't know quite how that the music from that part of the world made its way to country Queensland, Australia in the yeah. early 1970s. I, I know it was via my big brothers. How they found it, I don't know. I, I don't know if the local radio station was ever that cool. I think they were playing ABBA <laughs> and, you know, Engelbert Humperdinck and stuff. You know, it wasn't really... ABBA's cool. ABBA's cool. Come yeah. on. <laughs> but but that was the kind of music. It was just really weird how we found it. Uh, let's talk about... Um, if someone's listening today, um, we have lots of new listeners all the time on this podcast. and People often message me and say, uh, you know, oh, it was so helpful because um, I, I discovered you because I was trying to find out more and I want to walk. Um, Josh might start with you then. If someone's listening now thinking of walking the Camino, what advice would you give to them? Hmm. Where do I even start? Um, I think if I was speaking from a like emotional, spiritual place, I would say uh, open your heart for everything and anything and uh, let go of any sort of preconceived notions you have about your walk or yourself or just be open to, you know, healthy growth um, and meeting people. I think, you know, keep your walls down. I think that's the main thing, like just be open to people. And I would say from a practical standpoint, um, the gear is super important. I think that was something we learned. So like walking poles, you know, my dad was kind of like, Oh, I'm not going to get those, but super important. Um, and the shoes, I think the shoes, speaking of the blisters, I never knew that. I mean, it makes sense to get running shoes. Right. But we all came minus my dad with like hiking boots and we sent them back within the first four days. We sent them to Santiago at the post office. Cause we're like, what are we doing? But I would say running shoes and like trail shoes would be the biggest thing. And after that, I think everything else is just whatever's your preference. How well then answer me this question. Um, because I actually walked for a few days with some American guys, fantastic chant chaps, absolutely fantastic. And they were wearing running shoes and it rained. And the the Nike trail shoes they were wearing weren't waterproof at all. How do you cope with that? Yeah, I would honestly, looking back, I would cope with cold feet over blisters for 28 days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really would. I was, it was brutal with those boots. It's like once I changed those, I was, I was shocked at what I was doing before. Okay, there you go. David, um, let me ask you this question. Uh, what did you make of the history? How did the history of what you were doing and your place in history, how did that resonate with you? Uh yeah, well, you know, the very little research I did was from the guidebook, you know, watching the way, uh, reading through the guidebook. And then there was a documentary that came to our town that we were able to watch as well. So as far as history goes, I I made it um, a point, not in every village that we went through, to go into the cathedrals. You know, because I, I wanted to just kind of feel the the people, the history there, and just uh, the, the cathedrals are just absolutely amazing. So, you know, just to be able to to know, uh, um, you know, or to feel what 
the people that live in each of those villages must be experiencing. And it happened at one of the, I forget where it was. It was um, right before um, Paulo Coelho was actually uh, walking ahead of us. And we found out that we had just arrived in an albergue that he was just there. But I had walked into this uh, cathedral in the afternoon. No one was there. I just sit in, I look back and just, just, you know, reflect and just give Thanksgiving for just, you know, this experience. All of a sudden people started coming in. And then it started filling up. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I, I'm like, you know, sweaty. I didn't take a shower. I just come, we just finished um, the probably 12 kilometers. And all of a sudden, um, the cathedral was packed and I couldn't get out. I'm like, okay, what do I do? If I get up, it's going to, uh, I will make a big deal. But so I sat for an hour and it was a funeral. So I walked out with everybody and there was this big procession. They're carrying this body and I got to experience, you know, a, you know, a small village town cathedral. And it turned out that this, uh, this was a matriarch of this village that had passed away and, and the whole village came to, to honor her. So, so that was my experience of just, you know, just immerse myself in the culture through, um, through the cathedrals. Yeah, that was a ma- that was a magical day. I was just going through our my Instagram feed from that, trying to refresh my memory of like what happened on this trip again eight years ago, but that was day eleven. I had been in such pain leading up to that day, and I remember walking up a hill and got to the hill, and then the sun broke through the clouds, and we get to an albergue. We never we ne- we didn't do any planning on where we're gonna stay. We show up to a place and and roll the dice and hope the there was a room available. But we found out that this town that we went to, Palo Coelho, had been at state at the very same albergue we stayed at four days before we got there. And so we had a great time. And I remember waking up the next day and my my feet felt as good as new. Like it was just miraculous. Wow, I don't have that pain that I've been having for the last wow. 10 days. Yeah, it was pretty cool. How amazing. So you don't remember what town it was? Yeah, no, I do. It was, I just, I wrote it down. It's Granyon. Oh, Granyon. Remember yeah, Granyon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you leave the town, there's this big, like, wide yeah. open expanse and yeah, yeah, yeah. a single trail. And there's, yeah, mm. it's just yeah, yeah, super yeah, yeah, picturesque. That's right. I know exactly where that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Bob, how do you describe pilgrimage? Not necessarily the Camino, but how do you describe pilgrimage to people who ask about it? Yeah, good question. Pilgrimage. Well, to me, um, I guess pilgrimage is, is uh, involves sacrifice, um, physical pain. Um, you know, I hadn't really thought about the, to me, the, the, uh, the concept of pil- pilgrimage. It wasn't forefront of my mind for me. It was more of like the, the historical stuff. I, I found myself throughout the, the 30 days, like, from time to time walking down a, a a a steep cliff or a path in the middle of nowhere and thinking god you know there's like napoleon's men were marching down this and then 800 years ago people were, were walking through here and and uh my my little blister my throbbing blister is uh is is nothing compared with these people from uh, you know, hundreds of years of, of uh, had to go through. So that that kind of that that kind of thing was definitely in my mind from time to time. So that's the pilgrimage to me was a thousand years worth of people, um, you know, 
uh, attempting to get to this place with uh, various, you know, heartfelt reasons for getting there. And I found myself at times sitting in, like you did, David, sitting in a church, um, just taking the time to enjoy the cool often because it was so hot outside. Um, and another pilgrim would come in perhaps and sing a song a cappella as they lit a candle in the corner. Um, perhaps I just would let them wander back out and sort of say quietly to myself or whom, to whomever it may have been a prayer, um, you know, I hope this all works out for them. Um, and maybe later that day I'd sort of cross paths with them and maybe they knew I was watching them, maybe they didn't know I was watching them and I might reach out to them. I, I just wanted to ask each of you, if I could, just to finish up. David, first of all, are you pleased that the Camino has come into your life? And secondly, what a blessing it must have been for that gift to have come from a son. Yeah, I mean, well said. Uh, am I, yeah, I'm more than pleased that the Camino came into my life. I had no idea that it existed. And Josh, you know, what a gift that Josh brought to me. Uh, to be able to say, hey, Dad, I'd love to be able to spend this time with you on the Camino. And, you know, as Josh mentioned, he's a you know big Hemingway fan. And I read The Sun Also Rises, you know, and I was able to think, okay, what would have it been like, you know, for Hemingway when he, you know, spent some time there. But, um, yeah, what a gift, no, no doubt. And, you know, we've, all of us have said, you know, we need to, you know, put in the calendar. I think we said 20... Uh, 24 is when we all want to go back and this time we're going to you know give us enough time so we can all walk together and walk all the way and to Finisterre and back and I know that that will happen so yeah what, what a yeah fabulous gift that I can take with me the rest of my life yeah that's fantastic Bob I want to um, come to you you've done a bit of research with these with the with, with Meg, who's written her book, Slow Your Roll, has the Camino given you the opportunity to slow down, um, to, to, to savor those things that you love, like family? Yeah, um, definitely. No, we had the 33 weeks worth of just slowing down to, to get to know these guys even better. But, um, but, what I liked about way one of the things I loved about the Camino is yeah it's it's you think about you're gonna what walk 500 miles in a month that's a lot of that's a long way but what you come to realize that it's you know you just walk it's a step you can you can walk keep going one step at a time and it's such a great metaphor for for life and for work you know when you want to get to the finish line so bad but. You just got to keep putting in the work. You got to just keep moving forward. And so that's, that's, mm. uh, that's something that's resonated with me, you know, to this day for sure. And Josh, finally to you, uh, as I said to, to, to David, um, a wonderful gift that you were able to give to your father and to your uncle, that must feel pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> They feel pretty damn good. Uh, yeah, it does. It does. And I think, like I said, I, I, I'm so thankful for those moments, you know, because I'll never really get them again. I mean, even if we walk the Camino, it will never be that Camino. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm super thankful. And, yeah, there were some growing pains and helped me see a lot in myself and helped us get closer. So it's I will forever be thankful that they said yes. And 
in the universe or whoever put us on that path, I always say the Camino calls you, whether it was the guy in the cafe and then the unique, unique situation on my dad was able to go financially and physically and even my uncle to getting a commercial, being able to afford it. So I feel like the Camino called us and said, it's your time. So that was what was so special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is so much that family can teach us. Um, there's so much that pilgrimage can teach us. Uh, and there's so much that history um, can teach us. And I think we can all learn from what pilgrims of the past have taught us. And I think that we can all learn from what pilgrims of the future can teach us too. So thanks, Bob, David, Josh. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, thanks, it's, it's one of those things. I do this every week. I kind of sit down here and I talk to people from around the world. And I quite often have to look at the time and go, oh, Dan, you have to stop. Which is a real shame because um, I could have talked to you all day to share your enthusiasm. And clearly the love that you all share together is a really wonderful thing. Congratulations. And um, buen camino, gentlemen. Thanks, Dan. Buen, buen camino, camino, Dan. Buen camino, Dan. Thank you. My guests this week, Bob Mackler, his brother David, and David's son, Josh. You can find Bob's books and musings at bobtomisticbooks.com. Bob to mysticbooks.com. Thanks for your company this week. A reminder of this week's thought before we go. I saw that you were perfect and I loved you. Then I saw that you were not perfect and I loved you even more. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way Somewhere along the way